So all of our campuses now are linked together. And so just to save me, I'm going to leave this here. And the people like on the campus are going, why is there an American flag? Because right? my dad's preaching with me today. Okay, how about that? So um, if you have a problem with that, I don't care. Um, I have to say, let me jump in. I have to say last week here at Flatirons, um, if you weren't here, it was one of my favorite weeks we've ever had here. And if you weren't here, you should have been. <laughs> All right? It was one of those like, defining moments in, the, in a lot of people's lives that, that call Flatirons their church. I think it's going to change our church. Go back and watch it online if you missed it. But let me try to catch you, catch you up really quickly before we jump into today's teaching. We've been looking at two letters, which later become two books of our Bible. But originally, they were two letters written by a man named Paul. We talked about him a lot. But, but uh, he's, Paul has spent... 15 years of his life, the last 15 years of his life, pouring into and mentoring kind of a next-gen kid. He's a young teenager named Timothy, right? probably 13, 14 years old when Paul first met him. And the interesting thing is that Paul, the author, is writing at least the second letter, Second Timothy, from a prison, a pit underneath of the police or military headquarters in downtown Rome. It's still there. I was there last month. It's still there, right? But he's, he's, he's on trial, not for his faith, but he keeps on teaching and teaching other people to teach that the only one true king is Jesus, not Caesar. Jesus is king. Jesus is Messiah. And in Rome's eyes, that's political treason. They'd already had him in prison once for this. They let him out with a warning to shut up, but he didn't shut up. He, did, he kept on teaching it. Now he's back in prison a second time, but this time he won't get out alive. They'll cut his head off just a few weeks after this letter is written. But shortly before that happens, in that pit, Paul writes to Timothy, and Timothy's now probably 30 years old, and he has left Timothy in charge of a new little church that just started in the city of Ephesus. If you're looking at a map, you have the Rome, the boot, and then you have Greece. Ephesus is about a couple hundred miles east of there, so several hundred miles away. But when you think Ephesus, don't think like, like, like Bible movies, little villages with donkeys and camps. It's a city. It's a huge, huge urban city. It's big. It's probably one of the top five cities, at least in the Middle East. Super wealthy, very, very prestigious. Um, kind of get it in your mind. It's, you have to go through Ephesus to get around the Mediterranean Sea to get to anywhere. So if you're in Rome or in Greece and you want to go east or you want to go down towards Alexandria uh, or Egypt, you had to go through Ephesus. It literally is the crossroads of the world. So everything's there. Right? In Ephesus, you have everything, including every religion is there. Every philosophy is represented there. They're very knowledgeable people. Um, they've excavated it. Eph Ephesus had an outdoor theater, this is 2,000 years ago, that could seat over 25,000 people for plays and lectures. Paul got to teach there a couple times, right? And, and, and also, probably the thing that's most famous for is that they, there were temples everywhere, like on every corner, on every hilltop, really big ones. The biggest temple was the temple to Artemis or Diana. She's the Roman goddess of animals, the hunt, and fertility. It's, it was so big. Again, they, they've, they've discovered it. They've, they've excavated it. It's so big that it is still considered to be one of the seven wonders of the world. It's a big deal, right? And the way that you worship gods 2,000 years ago, worship gods of fertility and childbirth, is that you would go to one of those temples, and middle school and above, so here we go, right? You would go to one of those temples, and you would have sex in the temple with one of the thousands of women who had the honor of serving as temple prostitutes. If you got picked to do that, it was a big deal. Congratulations. Nobody missed temple. Like, uh, so I went to the morning service, and the 11 o'clock, and the Wednesday night. So, uh, so <laughs> I'm sorry. So in, <laughs> that's not my notes. I just threw that in there. But anyway, so, so in Ephesus, everybody was attached to something. 
some belief or some philosophical system, all right? Paul had lived in Ephesus for about three years establishing this new little church, and he had left Timothy to lead it. Here's the problem, okay, that's all good. The problem arises when the men and women of Ephesus start coming to church and believing it, right? Becoming Christians, following Jesus. But here's where it falls apart. They bring with them all their other religious ideas, all the philosophies they've grown up with, and they try to take what they've always held on to and blend it with Jesus, and it doesn't work. And when Timothy stands up like I'm standing in front of the church, and he starts teaching, goes, no, 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 that's not true. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna do this instead. They turn on him. They turn on like, who does this punk think, he, who's this young pastor think he, he is telling me what I ought to believe? Who does he think can come into our city and tell us what we can and cannot do? So the reason that Paul writes this letter to Timothy is because Paul has heard that Timothy's getting his butt handed to him down in Ephesus. And Timothy's getting frustrated and is thinking about quitting and going and finding a better job, an easier job where you have to deal with people. I get, anyway, so, all right, so. so but both of these letters have very similar themes. Go like this. Read them. They only take about 30 minutes to read both letters, right? Timothy, don't give up. Don't quit and don't give in to all the pressures around you. You have to be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then sprinkled throughout these two letters, the only place you find these, these phrases in the whole Bible, we find this phrase we keep coming back to. Paul will write this. He goes, hey, Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And then he goes on and he gives them it. So in other words, Paul is telling Timothy and now telling us, right? This is what the message is. Hey, listen, following Jesus, let alone, you know, trying to lead other people, your family, your friends to maybe follow Jesus too. He says, I'm gonna tell you up front, it's, it's bad. It's going to get worse. It's going to get harder and harder in a world that doesn't want to hear anything about Jesus. So, so Timothy, I'm telling you, and, and Flatterms, I'm telling you, there are a few things that you have to hold on to. And when I say them, your response is go, we knew that, but do you? Because he's saying, I, I know that you say that you know, but you have to know that you know that you know. Because if you know, you know, right? But you have to know this. It's got to be more than that. It has to be, I know that I know. Because if you can know that you know that you know and not question it, like, is that true? No, I know it's true. Then you'll be able to keep going. We're gonna look at some phrases over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you'll be able to finish your race. You'll be able to fight the good fight. Not because your life got easy because of Jesus. Not because your life is fair because of Jesus. It won't be. Not because you, every, you understand everything that's happening around you. You won't. And, and it's not going to be like, I, I can keep on going because everybody around me in my life supports me and agrees with me. No. No, you cannot lean your faith against any of those things. You can only lean your faith against Jesus and what he has done for you and what he told you is true. And if you know that you know that, you'll be fine. And if you don't know that, or if you forget that, or you let go of it, it's a matter of time until you do what so many people in Ephesus were doing, in Rome were doing, and at Flatirons are doing. You'll give up and you'll quit on Jesus. I just can't do this anymore. It's just reality. You'll, give, you'll question if God has a plan for you and you'll just go do something else. So last week, we, 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 looked at, we looked at the first like trustworthy saying, the thing that you have to know that you know that you know, when, when Paul says this, see if you remember this. He said, hey, get, hold on to this, all right? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And there were several takeaways from that, four or five that we looked at. Here are probably the top two. I want you to remember, the first one goes like this. Jesus can save anybody. 
Even the worst of sinners. You're going, well, can he save her, him, me? Yes, he, Jesus can save anyone. The second one goes like this. And Jesus can use anyone who's willing to say yes to him. And after unpacking those two truths, that your past doesn't disqualify you from being used by God. As a matter of fact, in my experience, my past, especially my biggest screw-ups, are the things that God is gonna leverage in the world to show people how good Jesus is. I threw out, after kind of unpacking that, I threw out kind of a spooky term. I kind of said, I wanna speak a word of prophecy over you. Remember this? Some of you are like, oh, run. All right, right? Uh, and here's, but all it was, I believe, and I, do, I really believe this, that God has been and is calling some people in this church especially in that under 30 next-gen demographic, God is calling you to do something significant in the kingdom, in ministry. And then we gave anybody who sensed like that, maybe that Holy Spirit was telling them something, I, would, would you mind standing up so that we can pray for you? And across all of our campuses, hundreds of men and women stood up. Not just you know, the young next-gen, a bunch of like old farts like me stood up. Like, I, I, you know, right, right? But it's a statement of this. This is all we were standing up and saying. Hey, hey God, I'm here and I'm listening. I'm listening, I'm available, I don't have it figured out, show me what you want, to, to want me to do and I'll do it. I don't need to, you say it, I don't need an explanation. If you say go, I don't need a destination. That's what he's just saying, right? He's like, I'm here and I'm just listening. What do you want to do, to do with my life? And then hundreds of people gathered around those hundreds of people and we prayed for them and that's what the church is supposed to do. Anyway, it was great. And if you weren't here, go back and listen to it and stop missing church, okay. All right, so no, that's good. So last week was fun, okay? It's inspiring, it's encouraging. I got a lot of feedback from you all. This week, <laughs> Paul's trustworthy saying that you have to know that you know that you know. This one's gonna be a little tougher, a little heavier, very intrusive, all right? It starts fun and inspiring and encouraging and then er, it takes a hard right into, I don't wanna talk about this. I, I, I don't know if I like that part, but I promise if, if you just hang on to the whole thing, all right? You'll get to a part where you'll, you'll actually, you'll go, it is inspiring, it is encouraging. <laughs> or not, but here it is anyway, okay? So this is the second thing we're gonna look at this week. Here he goes. So here's a trustworthy saying. It says, if we die, now look, if you look at that whole screen there, um, some people believe this was actually a song that the church in Ephesus sang. And Paul's like going, hey, Timothy, you know that song that we sang for like three years? It's actually worth remembering. So whenever you sing this, just remember and, and know that you know that it's true. So he says, so here's a trustworthy saying. I'm not singing it. It says, if, if we died with Jesus, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. That's, that's the first verse. Okay, second verse. If we disown him, and he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Now, let's leave that up here. I like the first stanza. I, I like the first verse. Like, like if we died with him, like if that old life is dead and buried, symbolizes your baptism and I'm washed and I have a new life and a new name for but and the promise that I'll have eternal life with Jesus, let's sing that one a lot, okay? If we endure with him, if we don't give up, if we keep on going, even when life is hard, even if we get thrown into prison, we have this promise that, that our reward will be that we will reign with Jesus. We'll reign with Jesus. I want to do that. Let's sing that a lot. Then comes the part that makes me say, let's just skip this verse. I don't want to think about this part of Jesus. Let's just hold on to the trustworthy, the first part of the trustworthy saying, which Paul's final statement is why he says that last line is there, hey, you got to keep on reminding people, God's people of these things, because if they've let go of it, it's going to go off the rails. So if Paul told Timothy that he had to remind his people of these things, then I have to do this. So if you don't like it, email Paul. Okay, so, right? But here, we're going we're to look at the second part of the, you need to know that you know that you know, because if you don't, if you forget, you let go of it, it'll go south. 
So let's look at the first one that we don't want to look at. It goes like this. If we disown him, if we disown Jesus, Jesus will also disown us. Now, I promise nobody learned that in Sunday school. Yeah, when I was a kid, we used to sing about disowning Jesus. No, 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 no. But see, Jesus is very, very clear. There's just parts of the Bible we skip over all the time. While following Jesus has amazing, great benefits, it also comes with great responsibility and sacrifice. Jesus described, if you choose to follow me, he describes it as denying yourself and taking up a, a cross, right? A cross, a cross that the world might try to crucify you on like they did to the Jesus that you're following. All right, that's why Paul reminded Timothy last week, all right, if you choose to live a godly life in Jesus, you will be, not you might be, if there's a chance that, if, if culture gets really right, he goes, if you choose to follow Jesus, you will be persecuted. People will oppose you. They will fight you. They will attack you. They'll criticize you. They'll ridicule you. They'll try to get you to let go of it, to change. And Paul knows this isn't just hypothetical or theoretical. It might happen. He's writing this chained up in a prison in a pit that he doesn't get out of alive. He knows what he knows. But, but Jesus was really, really clear. And Paul is reminding Timothy and us, if you decide I'm going to be with Jesus, it has to be all in. It's not a foot in two different worlds straddling the fence. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You'll end up hating both of them and hating life. Look, look, look at this. This is parts of Jesus we don't ever want to look at, but we, Paul, Paul says I have to remind you of these things. This is Jesus talking. He says, whoever acknowledges me before other people, I will also acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. All right, so that, then he goes on and says this, and, this is like, I, I didn't know Jesus said that. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but, but, but a sword. And let me explain that. When Jesus says that, that he says, hey, I'm, I'm, I can't bring a sword. What he says, the sword represents following Jesus will cause some things in your life to be split in two. Right? He, he goes on, if you keep on reading this, for some of us, when we decide to follow Jesus, it will split our families apart. And you'll have to make a choice. Who am I going to serve? Who am I going to try to keep happy? My parents, my kids, my in-laws, my, my outlaws, whatever that is. Who am I going to kiss? Jesus says, there are times when you can't keep everybody happy and you have to choose. Who am I going to hold on to? And here's the thing, families, all right? You both think you're equally right. I think I'm right. My kids think they're right. I think they're wrong, but they don't think. They think I, I'm wrong. And, and you have to make a choice. Who am I going to hold on to? And it'll split, there are times when it will split Tightest relationships in your life going, I don't know if we can be together anymore. And you have to choose me or them, Jesus says. Now look at this. He goes on and says this. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me, he's not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life, like this is my life, I'll do what I want. Whoever holds on to their life, you will lose it. But whoever loses their life for Jesus, lays down their life for Jesus, you'll actually find it. Now this is a tough saying, isn't it? Uh, this, I don't like this sermon, right? Listen, Jesus is not saying that if you love Jesus and you have people in your life that, that don't agree with you, that you shouldn't love them. That's not, he's not saying that at all, right? He's saying that if you're with him, if you are one of his, then your loyalty and your choices you make out of that loyalty are to him first. And if you deny him first and choose another relationship over him, he'll deny you because you probably were never his to begin with. Now that's, that land's heavy. But Paul says, I have to tell you that. Hey, look at this one. So my famous talk that Jesus, my, my favorite talk that Jesus ever gave in the Bible is three chapters in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. 
I like all of it until the last two paragraphs. And then it gets really intrusive. This is Jesus saying, he says, so not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, so not everybody who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, then who will? Only the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. Many will say, that means a lot. Many will say to me on that day, what day? Judgment day. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, teach in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Didn't we do, we were at church every week. We did this, we did that. And Jesus says this, I'll tell him plainly, I, I don't know who you are. I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Now, if that sounds scary, because it is. Because Jesus is saying this, just because you call me Lord and sing the songs and show up in buildings, all right? You call my, yourself my follower and do religious stuff. It doesn't mean that you're mine. And then right after this, he tells that famous like, metaphor about how a wise person hears what Jesus says is true and bu- puts it into practice and builds their life on a rock and storms can't knock it down. Because when Jesus is your king, you do what he tells you to do or he's not your king. And, and foolish people don't and their house fall apart because they're not his. They know what he says. This is not going to do it. So that's the first happy one. All right, let's look at this, the second trustworthy saying. It goes like, this is much better, right? It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for Jesus cannot disown himself. Now, here's the last, the last part of the don't forget this trustworthy saying. You have to know that you know, you know, you know. All right? It goes like this, all right? If we claim to have faith and trust in Jesus, and we call him Savior and Lord, and then we give up, and we break faith, and we stop trusting in him, Jesus will, we're, we're not faithful. Jesus will remain faithful. Now, to who? And to what? And here's the answer. To himself. To himself. I, I thought if, no matter what, he was just going to say it doesn't matter because you're mine. No, no, no. To himself. Meaning this. He cannot go back on what he said. He will never reverse himself on what he said was, was right and true and what happened. Another way to say this would be this. Jesus was serious when he said, hey, the wages of sin is death. And that first trustworthy saying that we looked at last week is still true. I came into the world to save sinners, even the worst of them. But uh, this is how serious it is. It cost me my life. That's how serious I am about this. There is never going to come a time or a point where Jesus is going to change his mind and go, never mind. Never mind, you know, that whole sin thing, that me dying on a cross, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that important. Hey, listen, the world's crazy. You gave it a good shot. Kids will be kids. A person's gonna love who a person loves and you really couldn't help all this stuff. It wasn't your fault. All right. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. Everybody come to heaven. It's never going to happen because that would mean Jesus is a liar and he cannot deny himself. Now, I'm going to make some strong statements, like some more strong statements, all right? And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I just want you to let them sit with you for a second, because before you gather your things, get your kids and get in the car and go, don't go back there. All right, so, um, but you'll agree, just be logical. This is just true. Not everybody goes to heaven. If everybody goes to heaven, Jesus didn't need to come, okay? But something separated us, so something needed to happen. Not everyone goes to heaven. Here's the second one I know you agree with. Not everybody who claims to be a Christian is right? So, so wait, so the million dollar question is, how do you know and who gets to decide? And let me tell you what the answer is, at least the second one, not me. I'm not deciding who goes to heaven. That's way above my, my pay grade, all right? And, and, and how about this? And not anybody in your life, nobody sitting beside you, not your parents, not your kids, not your person you're married to or used to be married to who told you this is where you're going. No, they don't get to decide that, okay? Then who? Who gets to decide 
All right? So let's look at this. This is Paul still writing to Timothy. He says, nevertheless, if you read the parts above this, he's given reasons why all these people are turning their backs on Jesus. He says, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. So here's a foundation. This is God's foundation. This is what's written on the foundation. The Lord knows who are his. Well, what's the answer to those questions? The Lord. The, the Lord knows who are his. And here's the second inscription on that foundation. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord, everybody who is the Lord, must turn away from wickedness. So there you are. There's a two. You gotta know that you know that you know these statements. This is your takeaway from church today, okay? Who really belongs to Jesus and who doesn't? First one, Jesus knows those who are his and those who are not. He knows what's going on in here. He knows what's going on in here. Nobody else knows that. He knows. You cannot fool him. He knows what's going on internally, okay? The second thing, according to that inscription, was this. Everybody who really is trusting in the name of Jesus, everybody who really is his, must turn away from wickedness. So the first one's internal. This is external. If something's happened on the inside, on the outside, your external life will change. And the two are connected. An internal heart, mind being changed by Jesus and his spirit, and an external life, lifestyle that involves ongoing for the rest of your life, turning from wrong behaviors and letting go of them and turning towards what Jesus says is right and true. So please hear this. There's only one person, two people left so far, right? So my, my goal is not to have you walk out of here today wondering if you're saved or not. Wondering if you're really a Christian or not, okay? But I'll be honest with you. You might wanna call a timeout every once in a while and take a look at it, Right? Look in the mirror, look in your heart, right? So that's what we're gonna do. I have a really good friend of mine. I'm in a class at Wheaton uh, and he's a pastor, author, uh, knows God's word inside and out. He's just amazing, right? He's convinced, we were talking, he's convinced that a lot of the people that he has met who call themselves a Christian were never really converted. They just wanted out of hell. But they never really you know, gave themselves to Jesus. And he says, that sounds really judgmental, but he says, there's just no change. There's no fruit, and again, he's not saying in a judgmental sense, it sounds like it. He wants, he's dedicated the rest of his life to, to helping people who wear the label Christians actually follow him and not settle for just a title, to live their lives like Jesus. So when I say, I don't want you to question whether you're saved or not, I do think that we have to constantly be viewing and reviewing and examining our lives to see if our faith is making a difference in our lives and if it lines up with what Jesus says. Is he our Lord and King? When we take communion, it says, first of all, look at your own heart. He forgave me, but is my life going in that direction? So I want to try something, all right? Let's, let's take a look at our hearts and our lives. And we have to look at both of them, not, not look at our hearts and look at our behaviors because they are connected. So here's what happens whenever you say, hey, let's look at hearts and let's look at, at, at behaviors. All right, I, I know this about myself. We tend to judge other people by the externals that we can see, all right? Right? We tend to judge ourselves by... God knows my heart, okay? God knows my heart. But do you see the car they drive? Do you see the rock on her hand? Do you see where they go on vacation? Do you see how they live their life? Did you see how short her skirt was or how low her, I know about people like that. God knows my heart. So we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna pass judgment on anybody. And if somebody starts to, just, you don't get to do that, all right? But, uh, and we're not even gonna judge ourselves. The, the purpose of these next 10 minutes is this. I wanna do a little heart and self-inspection and see if Jesus points out, this is between you and Jesus, hey, we need to work on this part of your life. Is that fair? So if you look at some of the main areas that Paul is writing about, what's going on in that church down in Ephesus, 
And we're going to be unpacking these over the next several weeks about what's going on and what to do about it. The main areas that Paul is addressing to Timothy are the main areas of life back in Ephesus and in Colorado, because people don't change. They'll never change. This will never change. Here's what life is all about. Money, sex, and power. Amen. All right, that's it, right? The whole world revolves around pursuing those or whatever that is, money, sex, and power. So let's just break them down really, really quickly, very quickly, and then I'll wrap this up. We'll sing a great song and go home. And you'll never come back. All right, so the world views money as my stuff for me. Why do you want more money? I want to buy more stuff, okay? The world views money, my stuff for me. A true follower of Jesus views money as a means for generosity. I've been given to this for, for a reason. What am I gonna do with it? Paul writes to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says this. He says, command those with money. Now, time out. You're going, well, that's not me. All right? Okay, these are the people that Paul's talking to. In, G, in, in those days, you had money if you slept indoors and had at least one meal a day. So if that's not you, you don't have to listen to this. Okay, the rest of us, really, all right? Command those with money to be rich in deeds and generous and willing to share so that they may take hold of a life that is, what's the next two words? That is truly life. Meaning there is a life out there that some people are pursuing with their money, but it's not truly life. Meaning it is and it leads to something else. And something that's not truly life would be death. They spent their whole life running after life. They actually ended up with nothing. And he says it's being generous and sharing your money with people that God loves but have a need is the only way to combat that false life. And generosity is evidence of a changed heart that belongs to Jesus. So question, look at your own heart. Don't look at anybody else. Would you say that your level of ongoing, not every once in a while you hear a sad story and you throw some money at it, ongoing, consistent level of generosity, is it growing in your life? Is it equal to less than or more than your level of income? Wait, wait a minute, I feel judged. Are you saying that if I'm not a generous person with my money, I don't love Jesus? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not your Holy Spirit. I am asking, how can you claim Jesus as your Lord and King and Savior, his death paid for your sin on a cross, and not be growing in your generosity? Jesus said your money and your heart are always in the same place. So I'm a, this, is, this is for free. This is why I'm gonna put this in, all right? If you, and I may not be talking to all of you, I'm talking to most of you though. If you don't have $40 a month of disposable income and and you didn't sponsor a kid with one child. I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. I am saying, I, this is so judgmental. I think you love other stuff more. We, we still have 500 kids that need to be adopted, all right? And we had 11,000 people at church physically last week. We can do this. Well, that sounds really guilt and pressure. No, it's not. I'm just look at your heart, Okay. So let's don't talk about money more. Let's talk about sex. That's less intrusive. All right, so. And all your information centers, there's a card there and you can find out about a kid, right? I adopted a kid named Jimmy. His name's Jimmy. I did. He has huge ears like me. Anyway, so here's, look at this. The world, he's so, he's so cute. He's like four. He's, anyway, so the world views sex as it's my body, it's my choice, my pleasure. That's on every TV show, every movie, every advertisement. Don't tell me what it is in my body, right, right? A true follower of Jesus views sex as a pure expression of spiritual intimacy and covenant designed by God. That's better. And a covenant is simply a a promise that's physical, but it's really spiritual. It's it's bound in the heavenly realms. Covenant is oneness. It's me, Jesus, and Robin. 
and, and, and we've been bound together. I'm not going anywhere. And, and sex is an expression of that oneness that we're going after, right? Now, there's a whole section in this. This is going to make you read First and Second Timothy just because you want to get to that because you can be mad, right? Where Paul is going off on both sexes, but he, goes, he really goes off on women. He goes so far to say, hey, women in Ephesus, you need to shut up and go home. That's in the Bible? It really is, all right? He says, Let's, and by the way, ladies, you also ought to dress a little more modestly. Now, these verses have been used in the church, war of the sexes for centuries, usually at women's expense. So ladies, don't leave. I'm just gonna tell you something, all right? I know bringing this up is gonna fill up my inbox, but I'm going on vacation this week and I won't read them for six weeks. Sorry, so, so I don't care. And when I get them, I'll just delete them anyway, right? So, so let me give you context to that, okay? Ever since the Garden of Eden, right? The fallen state of men and women, we have taken sex and weaponized it against one another. Men use masculinity to try to dominate women and other men, and women use their sexuality and femininity to manipulate and control men. Save it. Yes, you do. We all do. Either through the promise of giving sex or the threat of withholding sex, we're trying to control one another. It's just reality, right? I mean, I'm, I, me too, right? Now, here's what's going on in Ephesus. You have all these people who have started coming to church to check out the Jesus stuff, and they, they come from somewhere, and they bring all their experience and all their thoughts and all their belief systems, they bring all their stuff with them. You have men showing up at church, and they're being bullies and arguing and trying to intimidate people by the size of their bank account or how smart they are, and they're arguing with everybody, and they're disrupting church because that's what it meant to be a man in their culture. And you have women showing up who just a few weeks ago used to work up at the sex temple and they're showing up at church with a, hey, let's party. And they're dressed like they were dressed at the club last night. And the problem is both the men and the women are disrupting the worship surface because they're both competing for attention. Let me say it a different way. They both are competing for worship. Look at me. The men can't worship because, well, there's, there's a girl, girl's on a wild video in aisle three over there, right? And the women can't worship because the men are mean, and bullies and obnoxious, and it's disrupting church. Paul says it can't happen in church. I, the world's screwed up, but this is different. We're different. So Paul writes this to Christian men who are just yelling at each other, and I want my way, and this is my right, blah, 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 right. This is what Paul writes. He says, therefore, I'm just talking to Christian men, right? I want the men everywhere to pray, how? Lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. We just sang this, right? He's saying this. He's saying, hey, hey, men, if you belong to Jesus, give it up. Not being a strong man, don't give that up. Don't be, don't, I'm not giving a strong leader. No, 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 no. If you follow Jesus, give up the macho, tough guy, bully crap. It has no place in God's house. And take on a posture of surrender and worship to Jesus. It's really hard to yell at one another when you're going, I'm Jesus, I belong to him. Oh, yeah. And then he says to the ladies, all right, and this is gonna, again, all right, do what you want with it, all right? I also want the women to dress modestly. You, you can figure that out, girls. With decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship, who profess to belong to God. Now, Paul is not saying here it's a sin to wear nice clothes and get dressed up and get your hair done and colored and wear jewelry. Please do that. It's great, okay? Ladies, you know this is true. What you do with and what you put on your body is a statement about what is most important to you and what you want to draw attention to. And Paul's saying, do you want to draw attention to Jesus or you want some guy to worship you? And don't look at anybody, right? You know. So let me, all right, it's almost over, so you can run in just a second, all right? So let's get really practical. So, hey, if you're single, are you pursuing sexual purity? 
according to Jesus. Not according to your college campus, not according to what all the other kids are doing at your school. According to Jesus, as a single person, are you pursuing sexual purity? If you're married, are you pursuing sexual purity and intimacy and covenant with your spouse? Are you pursuing it? You're not responsible for them, are you? Wait, 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 again. Are you saying that if, I, if I'm having sex outside of marriage, I'm not a Christian? No, again, I'm not your Holy Spirit. I'm asking, how can you love Jesus and call him Lord and Savior and continually as the accepted normal of your life, pursue sexuality as a single person, as a married person, as a divorced person, as a gay person, as a straight person. I'm pursuing sexuality out of what I know God says is right and true and good. How can you do that? Because they're, they're, they're in tension with each other. Let's move on. So let's look at and this one's easy because we talked about it a couple weeks ago. The world views power as self-promotion, I want my way, and self-protection. It's my stuff. A true follower of Jesus views power as an opportunity to serve the powerless. He's the only king that uses power for the powerless. And this is one that's easy, because again, we, all, we covered it a couple weeks ago, all right? But with sex and, sex and money, right? So we already covered that, right? The, these are the two biggest weapons we use to make ourselves feel powerful over other people. We use sex and money to power up on other people. So are you using your sex and money and power for your own selfish reasons to get your way, or are you using it in a way that honors and helps others and honors Jesus? And here's the thing, all right? I'm almost done, all right? You know. You know. You know what's going on in your life, all right? I don't know what's going on in your life. You know what's going on in your heart, and you know what's going on in the way you're choosing your life. You didn't have to come to church. Except Paul says we need to look at it. So here's what's happening. This has sucked from the first word to the sermon's bad, all right, right? Like, here's the conversation. I don't like this. All right? I felt very judged. It's like he was saying that if I really was a Christian, I would obey Jesus. Well, that, we don't have to become fanatics, do we? How about this? Maybe we, maybe we do. What do you mean? By definition, a, a fanatic, write this down. I didn't put it on the screen. A fanatic is just somebody who loves something more than you do in a way that you don't understand. That's what we call a fanatic. So you might want to look at it. Now, this applies, this, this message talks to everyone, but I want to lean into next gen. We've got a bunch of you sitting down here, everywhere, right? So, so us old people, here's the tape that plays in our head. Well, it's too late for us, and we've done this, and blah, blah, blah. It's not true, but this is the tape that plays in our head, okay? So let me talk to next gen, right? You're on the front end. You're on the front end of, of your life, and you get to make decisions now how the rest of your life is going to go, right? How are you going to live your life, and who you are going to live your life for, and what you're going to do with your body, and your money, and your power? You get to choose now. Nobody can make that choice for you. How about, I, I do know this. This is for all of us, all right? See if you agree, and I pray this, and that mom prayed this. The, the world needs more Jesus. Amen? The real one. But here's what we have. The world has a lot of rich people, according to my newsfeed anywhere. There doesn't seem to be a lot of generous people. How about this? Um, the world has a lot of, like, beautiful, sexy people. Again, it's on my feed, all right? The world doesn't seem to have a lot of examples of long-term intimacy or purity or marriage or sustained relationships, good families. The world has a lot of people bent on controlling everybody and everything around them. The world doesn't seem to have many people whose mission in life is to serve others. I don't know your heart. I, I'm not, again, I'm not your Holy Spirit. I don't know what you do with your money, your body, your power, or your influence. You're an American. You can do whatever you want, okay? But the Lord 
The Lord knows those that are his. I'm just saying, and the only reason I'm saying it is because Paul said, it's a trustworthy saying, I have to keep on reminding God's people. I'm just saying this week, you might want to look at it. And that's the application. Just look in the mirror and just, you search your heart. You search your bank account. You search your calendar. You search the words that have been coming out of your mouth. We've been talking to one another. Because we, we have to be different than all that crap we hear online and see online and on the news. Yelling. We have to be different. So here's what I want you to do, and then we're gonna sing this great song, all right? Is money, sex, power, I don't know which, which, it's connected to one of those three, all right? You're looking at one part of your life right now you've been thinking about for a while, and you're going, I have tried. I can't get that one figured out. The, The biblical word for that, not to get spooky, would be called a spiritual stronghold in your life. It's, like you have, it's, a, it's, a, it's not just like a, a thing. It's like it's a fortress. It's built walls, and I, either I'm locked in or locked out. I, I can't make this one move, all right? So that metaphor comes from a story. Um, when when the, the Jewish people left Egypt and they crossed the Jordan River, the first city they came to was called Jericho. And Jericho had these huge walls, and it couldn't, they, they looked at that one. They, they cannot be beat. That's a stronghold. And God says, okay, if, if, you, if it's up to you, yeah, you're never going to conquer that. But with me, all things are possible. And they told him what to do. And the walls literally caved, caved in and they went and conquered, right? Now, I want you to think of whatever's going on in your life going, it's a stronghold. It's Jericho. And I don't know what to do. I don't either. But if God is God and he never changes, if he's done it before, he promises he will do it again. And whatever he tells you to do in this area of your life, if you will do it and follow him, those walls will come down eventually. You got got to believe that. You got to know that you know that you know that. Not because you see how it's going to happen or you feel what's going to happen or understand everything about it. It's because you really, really trust this Jesus. So at all our campuses, let's just stand up and we're going to sing this song together. It has this, listen, I, I, I know he's done it before. We talked about this when we were introducing that song last week, Deliverer. I, I don't understand what's happening now, but I look back and I see he took me through this and he took me through this and he took me through this. I believe he's gonna do it with this one too. I have no idea how he's gonna do it. I, I have no idea how God's gonna heal up a little town in Texas. Do you? I don't know how he's gonna hold us together. I don't know how he's gonna get rid of all the division in, in our world and bring us back together. I don't know. I do believe it starts with on our knees with our hands lifted high and surrender and listening to what God has for us. As men, as women, as dads, as, as, as moms, as boyfriends, as girlfriends, as single parents, as married people, whatever, if we will just listen, he will show us what to do. And then we'll choose if we wanna obey him or not. So God, you know those who are yours and none of us gets to make that, that judgment, but we're looking at you going, I wanna be yours. So search my heart, God. Search my mind. And then look at all the parts of my life. And you tell me, hey, we're probably not going to fix it all this week. But let's lean into this one part of your life. And we'll take a step in your direction. And believe, like we're about to sing, even if it's a stronghold. And even if it's going to take a long, long, long time for those walls to come down. I believe you've done it before. And if it's what you want for my life, it's a matter of time until they fall down. And, it, and I conquer it. We conquer it together. We believe that. That's why we worship you, Jesus, our King. In your name I pray. Amen.